Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Dude, what is what do people's decks even do? What Look do they do? They'll be skeptical about what your deck Dude, does. Brand, Brando <laughs> is just not interested if your deck no. doesn't have clear, articulated idea of what it does. He's what he's does not buying it, man. Do? Brando's not buying it. I'm not playing it. Yep. Yeah. So this episode is going to be about, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, get, you know, what's the through line for your deck? What is, what is, when you're brewing, what does your deck actually do? You know, uh, I think Phil pre-show, you said it best. Uh, everyone knows what a combo deck's doing, right? Everyone for the most part knows what a Delver deck is doing. Uh, but what, you know, these mid-range pile decks, it, it kind of gets a little foggy about what's going on there. Um, Zach, you play A-Cast. What does A-Cast, what, do what does your deck do? I make a bunch of artifacts that make a bunch of giant robots, and I attack with those giant robots, hopefully stopping you from doing your plan along the way. This is, you know, this is more of an esoteric episode, I think. Uh, I I've been seeing a lot of a, a lot of new action with Lord of the Rings cards. Excellent. Yeah. The there's a lot of brewing happening. We were talking last week with Santa Stouthearted and so on. Ransom, I'm seeing that pick up a lot in decks out decks outside of just shadow. I'm seeing uh Sam show up in like these bouncy mid-range Esper sort of piles, something that we talked about last week, uh showing up in DNT, Soren's Ransom showing up in uh those sorts of fair decks with like Snapcaster Mage because the ring contempt is not caster mage and then you can pick up with caracas and then replay the soren's ransom it's kind of the an, uh, a revamping of Kologon's command snapcaster it's like a fun little place to be and i'm seeing all these decks and i think they're super sweet i think they're super sweet but then i also see a lot of lists where it's just a mishmash of good cards and it makes me think what is your deck even do is it just cast good cards and hope that they're good that's that's reasonable if that's yeah. the plan i'm just playing a bunch of good cards and i'm just going to cast good cards and i'm going to hope that the good cards are good and that they're going to do good stuff for me and then i'm going to have a good record after i play in the good event with my good cards if that's the way you want to be totally fine totally get it but if you're trying to like streamline or optimize or a list or build off of a brew that you're experimenting with or trying to figure out what are the cards that you can't cut or what are the areas that your deck is going to be soft and you're analyzing all that and you're play testing i think it's important or maybe not not important but it's inval it's valuable to be able to know what your deck does yeah. what does your deck do like give me the log line what's your deck do i, I play eight cast i want to jam a chalice on turn one and hope it gives me a free win and if it doesn't i'm going to cast a whole bunch of artifacts to make giant constructs with the Urza Saga and beat you down. Like, okay, sweet. That seems like a sweet plan that you can do in the dark against every single deck, regardless of what they're they may or may not be on, and then adjust accordingly after the fact. But if you sit down in the blind against an opponent and you don't know what your deck does, how are you supposed to play it? How are you supposed to play it if you don't know what your deck does? Yeah. I'm trying to do what my deck does. Combo is really easy because combos are just established of like the entire deck built around the combo. I'm playing Storm. My goal is to amass enough raw resources that I can storm count to 10 and kill you with 10 of agony okay well then that means that most of my plan should be about trying to accumulate enough resources fast enough which means that i'm going to do all the things that we know that storm does it's not really in reinventing the wheel in that sense but like at least you know what the deck is trying to do every game you sit down you're trying to do it i play cephalid breakfast i need to find a cephalid illusionist pair it with nobads on core or shuko i'm gonna mill my library and i'm gonna rebuy uh thassa's oracle but i know that first my my goal every game is to get a cephalid illusionist and pair it with a combo piece okay there's your game plan show and tell i want to cast show and tell like a, like a like a big oaf and put a big oaf in the play and then hopefully yeah. the big oaf wins me the oaf game sweet so let's talk about the decks that that is not as straightforward of what yeah. your deck does i think we've seen some of those decks start to pop up with the lord of the rings cards uh starting to be tested a 
little bit more. Yeah, I think that a list that was sent to me that paralleled what we talked about last week of the ring temps you starting to see play a little bit more between Sam the Stouthearted and Sauron's Ransom and maybe putting them in the same deck. And then that puts you in Esper Colors, which gives you Caracas, which helps you pick up the legendary creature that you make off of the ring. That sort of little shell is nice. But there isn't necessarily something going on that you can logline with that shell. I'm playing Ring Tempshu cards to maximize the value of Caracas. Okay, sweet. But like, how, how, how? What is it? What is it that you want to do? Do you just want to pick up something with Caracas? It doesn't seem like that's the way that you optimize winning the game. I would think. Well, what do you want to Sam... pick up with Caracas, right? That's the, that's the next question. Like, that, you know, yeah, I, be specific. Like, it, it helps articulate these this sort of log line to know, okay, if I'm cantripping in a certain way, my my plan is I would like to pick up my Snapcaster to rebuy my Sauron's Ransom to re-legendary my Snapcaster to do it again with the next Sauron's Ransom. Yeah. I want to bury you under so much card advantage between the combination of Sauron's Ransom and Snapcaster Mage that you cannot recover. I just grind you into the, like, I have so many resources that the rest of the game doesn't matter. Okay, I, I, I like this plan, but now, yeah. now we can, we can, lean towards okay i need to find i need to pair snapcaster with a soran's ransom to get this sort of engine going and then fill out the rest of the deck to support that shell resolving yeah i think that's it's wild that we than... didn't look at soran's ransom initially and go this is this is built for snapcaster mage you're gonna make it legendary and then you're gonna recast snapcaster mage it's putting cards in the graveyard you know, like that that card is is so much deeper, I think, than than we really gave it credit for. And we gave it a lot of credit, honestly. We gave it a lot. Yeah. I I, I think it's also because that is also it, it's a slow combination. Yeah, like it's five mana, you, right? You, ca casting a three mana. Well, you have to you would first want to put a snapcaster into play. So you're spending a you know, seemingly three mana to do something. That way your snapcaster is not just a two-one flash. And then you're after that, you're then going to play a three mana bell that to play your snapcaster, but then you're gonna have to pick up the snapcaster by finding the Caracas. How many Caracas are you playing? So it's a lot of hoops to jump through to not actually do anything other than go up raw card. But yeah. then the the question is, okay, well, what are those raw cards? What are cards? those cards? Yeah, what are those cards? And I think that's where I was sort of on this idea of like, what does your deck do? Because it's like, you know, if you want to grind the, your, the opponent down, well, what does that mean? Not every card is going to trade, like not every card grinds the same way. Thoughtseize grinds differently than Swords to Plowshares. A counterspell grinds differently than a removal spell. So like, what, how are we actually pairing this together in a way that it is going to be the thing that you want to do every game? Part of your logline can make assumptions, right? Like I play a lot of miracles. Every time I sit down at the table playing miracles, I'm making the choice, assuming that my white cards have text. If Terminus does not have text, I'm in for a rough game one. That is, it is an assumption I'm making about a meta that I'm walking into that my cards will have text. If I was going in blind and I want to be able to have the logline of you know, I'm going to rebuy my Snapcaster and get a bunch of Snapcaster value, then that would imply that there's a lot of action going on in my graveyard. So can I do something else? Am I, instead of moving in and playing Esper, am I splashing a Caracas and I'm moving into an Uro package because I can mill the Uro, then further grind that way. It, it is all to say that if I'm going to log this deck, this Esper deck or this blue-black splash deck, am I going, I'm trying to Snapcaster Sauron's Ransom to load my graveyard to escape Uro without having to play it on the front half first. That's a different plan and, a, yeah. and, a, and also an interesting plan than I want to play Sam the Stouthearted alongside Wasteland and and the ring tempts you and load up the ring all the way to the max and chunk you with these dorky beaters while I sort of play this a little bit bigger than Delver tempo plan. Yeah. 
Okay. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm saying it's good for you to know going in how to navigate your deck so you know how to utilize your tools. If you're saying to yourself, I want to be a ring tempts you mid-range mana denial deck by rebuying my wastelands with Sam the Stouthearted, and then that, that might move you away from Snapcaster. It might move you towards playing something like if you're if you're in ring tempts you and you want to play uh, mana denial, you're like, I don't know, fucking Avalanche Riders, man. I'm going to fucking Avalanche Riders you and ring tempts you and pick it back up and then have a, I don't fucking know. You know what I'm saying? But like, it, it at least gives you more of a dedicated plan as opposed to having like these alternating paths where you then pair different parts of your deck with different things with the other parts that work with the other half you know what i'm saying it, it, it's cantrips usually are used to like solve these problems but let's say you have you're you're playing sam the stat hearted and wasteland those things work together right i want to waste you and then yeah. i want to sam the stat hearted and pick up my wasteland and wasteland you again but if i'm going okay i want a sauron's ransom with snapcaster well snapcaster and wasteland isn't necessarily conducive to the same plan as what yeah. sam and wasteland is which is wasteland is trying to deny resources and sauron's ransom snapcaster is trying to like go up re resource you play Playing a Snapcaster or Soren's Ransom isn't necessarily denying your opponent resources unless you're pairing it with things like Thoughtseize. But Sam the Stouthearted with Wasteland is playing, trying to deny your opponent resources. So the I'm am I trying to go up on cards? Am I trying to play a deck that's in high resource game states, or am I trying to play a deck that takes the game into low resource game states? Well, and that will think... that will navigate you against different. Like if I sit down across from you, you're playing fucking Acast. All you want is to play in a high resource scenario. Yeah. The only thing you're interested in is playing in high resources. If your deck is also playing in high resources. That's going to change how you navigate then if you're playing in low resources. I feel like well, I'm just I think, monologuing. I think, Phil, in these in these, uh, in these these mid-range builds, one of the biggest things you can do is ask yourself these questions. Ask not just what am I trying to do? Obviously, that you know that's the, the whole topic of conversations. What am I trying to do? But asking yourself, how do I answer how do I answer the questions that are being put on me? Because generally, if you're a mid-range deck, you're you're levying yourself towards that control end. You know, if you're if you're a pile type of deck. You you have you're, you're trying to have all the answers, right? And so if you're if you're trying to have all the answers, the question really comes down to uh, what are the best cards to fill those slots? If if you're playing a mid range pile and you're like, okay, I'm going to be bigger than Delver because. I am going to establish some amount of board presence in the early game, uh, a threat that's going to close uh, the game, but it is not an infinite resource like the way that just an Uro forever would go. Like Uro Caracas is sort of a forever deal, right? Like I I, I never die when I do that. Maybe I'm deaf. Uh, as opposed to like any, anything in this, like this mid-range space that we're talking about, like eventually you run out of Sauron's Ransom if you're trying to Sauron's Ransom plus Snapcaster, right? Like let's say you were to go all the way through it. You're, you're not an infinite deck, right? You, you don't go infinite. You got to close somehow. Yeah. You're Eventually, playing, the game has to end. Yeah, you're not you're not force of will playing Thwart with Mystic Sanctuary, theoretically making it so that you can never deck, and that's your win condition, and you just want to not die. Your your win condition is not dying. That's different. And like how you navigate the game of like I'm always the control role versus how when am I the beatdown? That also changes your other card, your other your other choices. Let's say you are playing Grixis Delver, right? And you've got Bowmasters in your list now, and you want to use you want to play tools to optimize Bowmaster. That might move you away from the inherent Delver logline, which is establish a cheap threat plus mana denial and cheap counter magic to keep you off balance and close the game before you can use all of your resources, right? Like Delver's game plan ideally is you win the game and they still have five cards in hand, right? They yeah. didn't have time to deploy all of their resources. That's what okay, Delver's done forever. A tempo deck. What Delver's done forever. And then yeah. if we start moving into a space where we're like, well, this these cards would work with Bowmasters. I want to play cards that, you know, the, like I want to play some, we both draw cards and we both, and I get to ping you with Orca 
Irish Bowmasters, but now it, it just gets sloppy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I feel like I'm not articulating it all that well, but if it, it, it your log line helps you from keeping your log line helps you from getting sloppy from your deck choices, your card choices from becoming sloppy and steering you away from what your deck is trying to do. What is the macro thing your deck wants to do, and how are you executing that with your card choices every game? Now you can adjust for your meta games. You can adjust for certain specific uh, opposing archetypes, right? Like maybe you're slanted and you're playing a fork bolt because you want to be able to beat up decks that play a bunch of cheap creatures, whatever. But as a whole, when you sit down, you know what your deck does. I'm playing Delver. If you play a three drop, it's kind of like, well, if I'm playing a three drop, it's assuming that we're going to get to a stage where three drops matter significantly. And I want the game to be over or in a position where they can never actually stabilize with a three drop and play before it ends. And yeah. so why am I playing a three drop that doesn't help me close the game faster? Where if you play a three drop and it's like sulfuric vortex, it's like, all right, yeah, that's trying to close that the door. That begins really to end the game. You know, yes. you know what I mean? It's like, if we get to that stage in the game, it should be close enough that sulfuric vortex ends the game. As opposed to like, when I, I've been seeing Delver decks like play Narset, three mana Narset, and I can't fathom why it's there. Like maybe it's a hate piece against, you know, opposing the one rings or whatever, but it does nothing with what the deck wants to do. Like the the, the game plan, every Yeah, time I don't you sit look down, to draw non-creature spells like off of my three drop when I'm playing, when I'm playing Delver. I'm looking to f figure out my what my threat is that I want to end the game with. Uh, hopefully, by the time I've gotten to three mana as a Delver deck, I have you. You are on such a back foot that all I'm looking to do is find my final threat. Uh, so, and I don't think Narset uh, Narset does does that in any in any meaningful way. So I think this is where that idea, right? Like that that that's a good way to to put the Delver logline, right? Like the goal is to keep the opponent on the back foot the entirety of the game until they die, right? Yes. They never feel like they have they they have proper footing in the game like your and ideal think, your ideal end game is winning with no cards in your hand and your opponent is is sitting there with like one tapped land and five five or six cards like that's your I, ideal your ideal scenario is like they have they have exhausted every option they could and you've exhausted every option you you could and you got there and i think that like had we been discussing this when expressive iteration was banned and we were talking about other sources of card advantage the one thing that is different about what expressive did versus something that like predict does yeah or exactly. any of the other you're card good, advantage right that people were trying to tell is the card advantage spells do just that they give you some amount of card advantage but in exchange for that card advantage you're offering your opponent time right because yeah. you're spending time to cast those spells to go up cards and that gives your opponent time which is the resource that you were trying to leverage being better at using anyway yeah. the one thing it's that actually why i was did, kind of uh kind of shocked to see that the first deck to do well with Sauron's Ransom was was a tempo deck, was was Death Shadow. Well, the the part of what Sauron's Ransom does for Death Shadow is, A, there's the the, the clause of giving a creature skull. So th that can be relevant at Just close -zero, the door. For sure. Against, if, if you have a big Death Shadow, right, and your opponent's at six, and they play a large Merc Tide to contend with your Death Shadow, and then you can give it Skulk, even though it's a fat creature, it can still then go under. Like, yeah. if you have a, uh, if you are like, okay, my opponent is going to play an Uro. That's a 6-6. Six, six. I have a Death Shadow that I can make it a 5-5, five, five, tempt it, get in for 5, and then maybe that's what you need to close the door. Right? Or tempt like, it, attack for 5, shock, fetch yourself, and hit for 8. But the other value of it is Soren's Ransom dumping to the graveyard is a way to turbo a Merktide in a way that Grixis Delver has <laughs> De Dragon Rage Channeler to yes. like turbo stuff to the yard you can play a sauron's ransom if and they that works put two, in death shadow they, as well yeah at, at worst they're going to give you two and two right 
Yeah, maybe they give you one in three if there's a really critical card. If you're like, well, I just need to load up the graveyard. Soren's Ransom plus three cards in the yard or that's, two cards in the yard. That's free. You just cash Soren's Ransom for free in that scenario because you netted three mana. It, it's a way to turbo. It, it's doing functionally similar things to what De Dragon Race Channel is doing in Grixis Delver yeah. with regards to Merc Tide. But one thing that Expressive Iteration did that the other card advantage spells that tried to replace it didn't do, it didn't let up the pressure. So if I played an Expressive Iteration, which found me a land plus a threat, I maintained that, that, that I played another threat. It kept you on the back foot. You still yeah. had to answer. I still controlled the narrative. If I played a predict, if I played a cantrip plus a predict and the board is clear, then they, you can play something and now they, you have the narrative because now I have to act. I think just, uh, yeah, oh, wait, just uh, by the nature of that card making you have to play aggressive spells, you know, you can't, you can't like put a daze into exile. Like that's not where you want to be. Uh, or a force I, of will to exile. That's not where you want to be. You have to choose aggressive spells. So you generally uh, shuffle those cards to the bottom of the deck and you're playing your lightning bolt you're grabbing your land or you're getting your uh dragon trade channeler you're you're on a more aggressive stance i think yeah, it's why ex it, 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 in in my view back back then expressive iteration felt like it was more powerful in delver than it was in four color not just because Delver was cheaper, and therefore you could deploy more things off of a turn two or turn three expressive in ways that you couldn't necessarily in control, but because the selection made it so that you could maintain pressure. You were like, I can always find the thing to maintain the narrative of the game, where a raw card thing that's just giving you raw pieces, like raw blank pieces of cardboard, you don't necessarily know what they are, something like a predict or something like an Archmage's Charm or whatever, where you're like, this is going to replace itself with more cards. But what those cards are, you don't necessarily know. The selection of expressive iteration allowing you to maintain control of the narrative a la doing what your deck is trying to continue doing is way more valuable uh, like in play than it seems like on the surface where we were just like what are card advantage spells that you can replace it with it wasn't just card advantage spells it, or it wasn't just a card advantage spell it was a, a card that let you maintain the narrative or the log line of what your deck is trying to do whenever you cast it it, it still fit what the deck wanted to be where people play predict in a drc shell and they go well yeah this is is great when I'm trying to go at volume, but then it's giving my opponent time to actually establish themselves. I think that's important when you're thinking about how do the cards play in what my deck wants to do. I'm, I'm trying to find a more a, a better way to articulate it, but as I've been brewing with the Lord of the Rings cards, the more and more I find that as I'm trying out different pieces with different cards, I, I've been trying Sam the Stouthearted with Wasteland. C card is very good. Sam the Stouthearted is just a very good card. At its baseline, on turn two, you can pick up a fetch at instant speed on your in your opponent's end step. Or on your turn three, you can Wasteland, pick up the Wasteland, and then they, they have to fear a Wasteland for the next turn. But what you, what that means is, oh, should I be playing Sam the Stouthearted also in a Daze deck? Because I'm trying to be a mana denial deck. Well, what does that look like then? Should I also be, am I just trying to be a, a slightly bigger version of Delver by playing the strategy that's trying to manage play and manage now? Or should I be playing Sam the Stouthearted with Caracas in sort of like a Mox Diamondy Life from the Lone-ish looking deck where I'm still playing in this space of like, I'm trying to sacrifice stuff? Or should I be playing it in a, a harder lands build that leans on Urza Saga because Urza Saga sacks itself and then I can use Sam the Stouthearted to pick it up and then also pick up Wasteland or pick up Fetchland. So now my Sam the Stouthearted is sort of doing a, a similar function of what Life from the Lone does, where where it's a yeah. it's a, a spell that helps me and now i have eight life from the loam effects if you will in my lands deck where i'm trying to deny my opponent resources and then incidentally grind them out with having these uncounterable pieces in my it, it can go a billion different ways right yeah. we can brew a billion different ways but like the difference of 
I'm playing Sam the Stouthearted to function like a life from the loam. It's very different than I'm trying to play a Sam the Stouthearted because I want to, you know, make my Baleful Strix a ring bearer so I can pick it up and then continue to draw cards. Those are very different plans. The card does, like when you cast Sam the Stouthearted, it can, it's going to do the same thing. But how you're playing with that effect is very different. And what your, what your logline is, what am I trying to do? I want to grind into the late game with a bunch of cards that replace themselves so that my opponent trading one for one is an extremely uh, favorable trade for me. So I'm going to play a bunch of two for ones and I'm going to play cards that then leverage those two for ones. So I want to play Snapcaster, which is a two for one and Sauron's Ransom, which is a, 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 at least a two for one. And then I'm going to ring temp my Snapcaster and pick it up with Karaka. going to give me another two for one. I'm going to Snapcast two for one. I'm going to four for one. And then I'm going to have all these X for ones. And then you're going to have no cards. I'm going to have seven cards. And then you're going to concede. That's well, different than I, I, think... I want to play Ghost Quarter and Wasteland. And I want to make it so that you can never <laughs> actually have mana to, to actually cast your spells. You may cast a two drop, but that's whatever. I'll deal with it. You're never casting a three drop or higher. I'm going to deny your resources and you're going to be out of the game. That's so, Those are so much different. Yeah. And the tool is the same. Well, I think when you're coming up with that as your as your log line, also, you have to ask the, for, the first question you really should be asking is, is... Is that the meta that you want to be fighting? Are we in a meta right now where uh, going going uh, you know two for one against your opponent is is a valuable way to win games? Are we able to you know in that scenario, Delver is the most popular deck, right? You want to be going going okay. I can outcard a Delver deck and survive it, and if that's the case, then this sort of deck is is where you want to be. I think. Well, that, that's what I mean by when you say this sort of deck. That's what I'm talking. I like. What does that mean? Yeah. If if you are also playing. A, a mana denial strategy against another mana denial strategy, but you're the bigger deck, you aren't trying to mana deny anymore. No, no. Because they will do it better than you, and then yeah. you will die. But if your mm. game plan going in was, well, my plan was to mana deny them, you know, what does my deck do? My deck denies their mana. Well, if they don't need mana to operate, then are you just a, are you just a dog now? Like, what what that's what does your deck do? I, I, and this is where I want to go into part B of the conversation. What does my deck do? And in the event that that fails, what does my deck do? What's my backup plan, as it were? This is a this is a, a way that another way. If you wanted to link to the ABC deck building idea, yeah. your plan A is I want to mana deny them. What does your deck do? My deck plays Sam the Stouthearted with Wasteland to deny them mana by picking up my Wasteland and their behavior having to change, knowing that they may not be able to execute their early game plan because they need to play around Wasteland to get to their mid and late game plan. Yeah. Okay, well if I'm playing against Delver and they can operate on one land and me denying them one land or maybe cutting them off a color isn't you know relevant enough because they can establish an early they can establish most of the threats of a volcanic island and they're playing all the volcanic islands what does my deck do after that okay my deck is trying to demand and deny them in the event that that's not that doesn't work now what does my deck do and if that is my deck plays snapcaster and sauron's ransom to grind and play the control role that's also fine and now we're piecing together the so do you do you see where i'm going going here it's 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 less so about your sam the stouthearted snapcaster wasteland sauron's ransom deck sucks or is 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 misaligned than it is knowing what the logline of the de- of what the deck is trying to do and then if it fails what's it trying to do so if i open snapcaster soren's ransom in my opener i'm like mm, this isn't really what my deck's trying to do in the dark my deck is trying to sam the start how sam the stout-hearted wasteland in the dark and if i open a hand that is snapcaster Sauron's ransom, and I don't want to go to six, and I'm in the blind. Then I'm going, okay, this is this is what my deck does. This and if I, I do. draw, yeah. if, if if I draw a wasteland, I'm not necessarily the wasteland Sam the Stouthearted deck like I would have been had that been my opener, because I'm I'm playing a deck that's trying to piece together things. But now, what happens if you play if you open a hand and it's Snapcaster Wasteland in the dark? What are you doing? Well, the, if if you wasteland them, you move yourself away from a Snapcaster, right? And that plan being good. But if you don't wasteland Snap, that Wasteland can cast the Snapcaster to get 
get you the Snapcaster Soren's Ransom game plan. In that regard, in my mind, that deck that's playing Santa Stoughthearted Wasteland Snapcaster Mage and Soren's Ransom, you are a Snapcaster Soren's Ransom deck first because there will be more combinations of cards that get you to that game plan than there do than there is to get you to the mana denial Sam the Stouthearted game plan. If I were if I showed you that deck and you went, Phil, what does this deck do? I say, well, it wants to be it wants to Snapcaster Soren's ransom into the late game and grind my opponent out by X for one them into oblivion. And then if that doesn't work, I do have the option to mana deny my opponent through Sam the Stouthearted recouping wastelands. Yeah. So I mean I feel like we sort of just retrofitted an ABC deck building episode. <laughs> yes, yes, but, sort of yes. But at, at, at baseline <laughs> figuring out what your deck wants to do, if you're like, how do I I have the deck first now how do i actually apply a theory to it to know how to navigate a game it goes if i have a snapcaster wasteland in my hand and i'm playing this deck i'm not necessarily firing the wasteland off immediately because i know that my my game plan in the dark every game going to be i'm snapcaster soren's ransom and until something shows me different i'm not moving into yeah. the sam now if i wanted to play you know when mana threat and dazes or whatever and move into like closer to a a, a mana denial shell or i want to play you know a land style package where i can play like i want to play green white with sam the stout hearted wastelands and i'm going to crop rotation for the caracas but then i'm going to use it to cast my soren my um sam the stout hearted to pick up the land that i just sacked with the crop rotation and i'm going to move into that sort of build where then i'll be able to recoup my wastelands and actually deny you am i making any points here is this is yes this, no uh, this makes sense yeah of course it, it 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 is to it lets you knowing what your deck does what your deck actually does a majority of the time is going to give you clarity when you're looking at opening hands let's say you mulligan to six and you're like okay well i have sam the stout my, my four cards are my, my my cards that i have I have, I can keep two lands, Sam, Soren's Ransom, a Wasteland, and a Sam the Stout Hearted plus two lands. It's a pretty good seven. What am I throwing back in the dark? What would you throw back in the dark? I mean, I think, I think you get rid of the, the Ransom at that point. If you want to get rid of the Ransom, the Snapcaster's kind of naked, isn't it? Yeah. The Snapcaster's not really doing much there. So do we get rid of the Snapcaster and, and say, yeah, at least, at least I'm going to get value out of my, uh, Sam's and the Soren's Ransom is going to be a later plan. I think that the, the there is argument to <laughs> in in that position if you have either half thinking which half is this this is where I say what does your deck do first by if if you were to dump the Soren's ransom that snapcaster is now top decking right you need to find another spell to pair with the Snapcaster. <clears throat> Soran's Ransom is a little bit more open. It's going to give you selection to keep the game going long. But if your plan is to go Wasteland, Sam the Stouthearted Wasteland, you may not really ever find time in the first five turns to cast your Soran's Ransom. So it yeah. also will just sit naked in your hand. If you throw back either of the uh lands now everything is naked if you throw back the wastelands you're not you're not you're you're yeah, again you're you're, you're top decking yeah, yeah. Th this is a fun fun thing i want to know what put in the comments what would you throw back two lands sand the stout hearted let's say it's two whatever lands cast your spells you're gonna have perfect mana wastelands sand the stout hearted snapcaster mage soren's ransom so those are seven you're on a multi six what do you toss back if you're a snapcaster soren's ransom deck i think it's also reasonable to throw back the sand the stout hearted because you want to establish that you're going to hit your land drops and if you're playing a sam depending on the rest of your build if you're playing a sam uh not a sam if, if you're playing a snapcaster soren's ransom deck assuming that you're playing tools that pair well with snapcaster then you want to at least get to the stage where if you cast a soren's ransom you will be able to flip over cards that will help you play from behind to catch back up and then the snapcaster will then help you leverage either get back to parity or put you ahead that game plan even though it's slow at least i know what it's doing and it's not stranding any of the cards in my hand i know i, I have use for all three of these lands i have use for my snapcaster and my soren's ransom 
this is this will work whereas the other cards will potentially strand a card unless the game is going to go long and you don't know that in the dark anyway i feel like we've talked enough about this i hope it was helpful what does your deck do what does your deck do comment below about what your deck does right like if you have if you play a specific deck what's your through line what's your log line if you have to write your deck down in one sentence to tell people what your deck does, that's a perfect thing to comment uh, and have us guess uh, what your deck is. Here, here's here's the template that I would use for looking at when you're building a deck or if you're changing up a deck that you play a lot. This deck wants to blank, and if that doesn't work, it wants to blank. Okay. This deck blank, if that fails, blank. Perfect. Fill in your all template. Right. I think that does it for us this week. We will catch you guys all next week. We have uh, some special guest episodes coming up uh, next week, so those are very exciting. And uh, maybe another deck tech, uh, probably Cephalid Breakfast this week. All right. Have a good one, everybody.